Welcome to the great conversation where ideas matter. Ideas shape markets. Ideas can change the world. Most of you are used to working with people, developing relationships, even leveraging those relationships to navigate your path in the world. For business leaders, the, one of the essential tasks is understanding how to create an engaged workforce, to get an engaged workforce that actually is on the same page with the business owner or business leader. And that engagement, quite frankly, you've heard in past podcasts of mine, seems to be the one that we wrestle with the most, especially in these uncertain times, changing demographics, changing world conditions. It seems to be the number one thing we're dealing with all the time. That And how we deal with it is kind of a predictor of our success or failure in the world as business leaders. As you know, I read a lot and I pay attention to what you send me on LinkedIn. And the other day, one of our great conversation followers sent me a note that you've got to look at this, this uh, Vitali Giman, uh, because he is writing about something that just seems to be in your nature, Ron Warman of the Sage Group. And, um, and the image he had on his LinkedIn site just pulled me in, just pulled me in because he took seemingly disconnected ideas of who we are as individuals, as well as who we are in business, and he connected them. Vitali Giman is a partner in Quantum Leaders, which is known for something called the leading organizational, um, the living organization, I mean, and the leading organizational framework for business leaders like us. Vitali, welcome to the great conversation. Thank you, Ron. That was a great intro. <laughs> <laughs> well, I told, I told you, I was just telling Vitali that nothing's scripted with me. And uh, what, I, what I do is I just invite him next to my virtual fireplace and we're going to have a chat. But Vitali, first of all, let's just, let's set a baseline here. If you liked the intro, what was it you liked about it when it um, corresponds to your your thinking, your research, and of course, the tools you're creating for business leaders. What, what grabbed you in that intro? Um, first of all, when you said we are, you know, it is critical that we engage our people in our vision and our values and the, the direction of the company today. And that's the, defines the success of the company. That is what a successful leader is today. Right. That's yeah, yeah. Says it all, right? I mean, engagement has been low. Conventionally, we know that you know, 33, 40% of people are only kind of engaged. The, the rest are, I don't know, the rest are getting a paycheck. <laughs> so. and, and by the way, uh, you're, you're, you're quoting correctly the Gallup organization that spends most of its time studying engagement has definitely said that is ticking up, that disengagement is a, a real problem right now. And we can see this in the news every night when we watch the news, right? You can just see it. 
we're disengaged from our governments, we're disengaged from our business leaders. We see ourselves, uh, unfortunately, as separate from. But but what I let let's start with since words are real things and ideas matter. Let's start with defining leadership for a second, uh, because leadership isn't always good. It can still be effective and not good. And I'm not sure your framework cares or does it. Um, I think it does. I, I think we have to go deeper than leadership. We have to go why we exist, you know, to the foundation of why does a company exist? Why does a person exist? To the reason, because you see the picture that I, that you got attracted to, which is called Igikai, which is a Japanese term. It is a deep philosophy in Zen Buddhism and in Zen tradition which roughly translates, because it's very difficult to translate it, it's actually a way of life, and it translates a, a reason for being. Igikai means a reason for being, right? It, it's, 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 it's really why do I exist as a person? Why do I exist as a company? Why do I exist as a community or even a country? You know? What is the reason for me being here on this planet? That's that deep, right? And I think if we go, that's beyond leadership, right? Leadership is a servant to that, I believe, you know? So we think of leadership in terms of, you know, the guy in, in, on a charging horse in the front leading the, the battle, you know? But I don't think that's, that, that's, that's leadership. That's, that's the heroic leadership we're used to in Hollywood movies. But, I think leadership is about answering that fundamental question. And I think you mentioned before when we talked is the question is more important than defining what it, the answer is. is. It's like why we exist. If, if, if a leader serves that, I mean, what can be more important? And I love that, Vitaly. I really do. Questions, the right questions can fuel a, life, a lifelong passion. But in this mechanistic world we live in. We're taught to keep things separate. The job is a 40 hour week. I go home, thank God it's Friday. I have a Saturday and Sunday. I get my few weeks of vacation a year. And if I'm lucky, I retire with enough money to golf, read books, travel the world. And, but it hasn't, answered a fundamental question and that fundamental question is like you said why am i here and what do i leave behind that's right that's right and that's a, and and yeah the usually these questions are the privilege of the rich or the on the middle class because the poor guy is just hardly you know can get food in his mouth for a bottle of you know he hunts all day for a bowl of rice and that's how it's been a conventional, right? But now we live in a society where, thank God, you know, more and more people uh, come out of the, you know, the, the survival mentality. And now we, we can afford, you know, we have food on the table, we have shelter, we have our basic needs covered. That is why more and more people, particularly young people, are now asking more fundamental questions. You know, what do I do with my life? And how does work relate to my igikai, my reason for being? And what we're seeing is 
a very interesting paradox. We actually, what we're seeing is what's called the great resignation. That is, people are saying, you know what, it doesn't. It, it actually has no meaning for me. I don't feel I don't feel that I'm engaged in any meaningful way. And not only that, I don't even know why I exist in the first place. You know, um, I mean, uh, to be honest, this is the, I, I didn't tell you, but at the age of 30, I had a chronic illness and I was a senior executive and I was already managing a large portfolio, you know, billion dollar portfolio. And, and what happened is I, one day I woke up and I go, why am I doing this? And I had no answer. There was like silence. And, and, and that scared the hell out of me because I was at the top of my career. You know, I, I was an MBA engineer and, you know, going to become a CEO of a large, you know, large corporation. And I had no, I had silence. I said, this is meaningless for me. Making more money for, for the corporation somehow did not satisfy me, but I didn't know anything else. So uh, literally my body went into kind of like shock and, uh, and I spent two years in bed. <laughs> Because it would just give up. My body said, well, if, if there's no reason for you being there, then you should just lie down and do nothing, virtually. <laughs> so, and then, so in those two years, I was reading philosophy and Buddhism and Zen traditions and the wisdom traditions. And I've, then I started realizing, oh, you mean we come to this planet not just to consume, but to actually to serve a greater purpose. And if we don't, know that purpose if it's not integrated into our daily work and life then we are actually only living half a life we don't have our igikai you know so uh in your paper and for those of you listening to this i've given you a link to get to this paper it's called the living organization a new framework for business success uh, but in the paper uh the tally puts in a, a metaphor if you will, and it shows people trying to paddle upriver. And of course, uh, the juxtaposition with paddling with the river, the flow of the river and its direction. So as I was reading this, everything you say resonates with me, by the way, but I must admit, I'm kind of scratching my head going, mm -hmm. I, I'd, love, I'd love to see Vitaly in front of a CEO who is on a freight train going 100 million miles an hour called his company in his marketplace and get him to slow down enough to say, I have to actually deal with the meaning of life when I'm trying to run a business. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, absolutely. Uh, it's an equivalent um, of trying to change the wheels on a car that's moving at a 100 miles an hour, right? Right. So... What, what would be your answer? You're in front of me. I'm running this organization. It's vital. It's not vital enough though. And, <laughs> and, the, and the reason you're sitting in front of me is my HR department's been fooling around with this engagement thing for a long time. And it yeah. starts looking more like a wellness program than an engagement program. And I still, yeah. right? And I still, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? So, so that's why you're in front of me, Vitaly. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, first of all, I would say if, we, if we're going to talk HR and engagement, we already missed the boast, actually. So, so I know we're going to do a flip, 180 degree flip. But if I talk to you as a CEO about engagement and you know, if you, if you HR policies, I missed the boat. 
Okay. This is nothing to do with, I mean, the, the truth is what it's got to do is, is, is the strategic direction of the, of the business. It's, it's a survival mechanism for the business, you know, because essentially what, what we view the living organization is like a living being, right? It's either relevant to the today's environment or it's irrelevant. And, and, you know, now it's only like a matter of two years, you know, COVID hit, Half the companies disappeared. They are not relevant anymore. They cannot cope with the existing environment. So it's very much about coping and resiliency and, uh, and it's a strategic direction more than just how do we engage people so that, so, that, so that work is more balanced and so on. It just happened that the only way we can be truly resilient in, in, in today's VUCA world, whatever, you know, is by having people that know what they're doing and know why they're doing what they're doing. Because if we have people who don't, who don't, we can't pivot fast enough. Strategically, basically, and, and we've seen those companies, I speak to CEOs who've lost 85% of their workforce. Lost, I mean, they just left, they just walked out, right? Because they wanna work remote now, because they wanna do this, because you know they're getting paid by the government. Um, so that's one, 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 one issue. The other issue is the, the market is changing so fast. And, and I think you're, I mean, you're, Ron, you're an expert in market, kind of, you know, really understanding where the market going and, and aligning with it. So, you know, the, the Uber effect, the whatever, the Amazon effect. I worked with Amazon, you know. It is so fast. The market is pivoting. So you have to be so far ahead of the customer, not with the customer, ahead of the customer needs, that unless you have people that are, living, breathing company values and uh, living, breathing customer values, you, you are not competitive enough in the, you know, to, to survive in, in the future. So, so the, I'm coming much more from that point. Okay, excellent, excellent. But still, if I picked up this paper, yeah. a new framework for business success, yes. it doesn't necessarily tell me where to start Right, exactly. Yes, exactly. And so that's a theoretical. And what we did that, and I must apologize, that paper was written 2018. It was kind of the foundation philosophy for our, for the living organization. Since then, we realized we had exactly the same response from a CEO. He goes, "Where the hell do I start? What do you want me to do?" Right. And we work. We're actually now working with two or three very bright, courageous CEOs that have forced us to be practical, you know? So typically we start with very simple questions. Where do you wanna go over the next two, three years? What is really important to you, okay? What is the ideal market positioning? What is the uh, financial uh, goals? What are, you, what are your financial goals, etc.? So the, the very standard questions, okay? Uh, so we understand where, where the CEO and the board of directors, you know, and hopefully they're on the same page rather than on two different pages what you know they find their goals and their orientation their ideal ideal customer scenario another way of saying it if a, if a, if a journalist wrote a paper about your company in in five years time what would they write about you know what would be your successes you know how how how, how did you transform how did you shift how did you grow so we do that we understand that that's that's kind of the ideal scenario we call it then we understand. Then we need to go and say, well, where are you now compared to that? Both in terms of people, in terms of systems, technology, 
the whole work, right? It's a very integrated approach. So we get to understand the whole company we're in now. And then we ask the question, how do, how, do, how do we close the gap? You know, who do we need to serve? Who are your future customers? How do we need to serve them to get you to where you're going? What are you doing? What are you not doing right now that you should be doing, right? What kind of um, resources do you need, both in terms of people, technology, uh, funding, et cetera, that you're not having right now. Yeah. So always very practical question. And what we do is we develop a roadmap, right? We actually had to develop a roadmap towards your future. Now, most companies, you know, they try to tell me, oh, it's, it's strategic planning. I go, no, it's not strategic planning, right? This is a very detailed, practical, step-by-step goals you know that how you're going to get there right so it's not really a strategic planning it's it's actually more like a you know, describe it it's a, it's a day-by-day manual of how you're going to get to your future goals you know so that's so so we call it the the living organization roadmap and we we bring all of the executives in one room uh or our announced zoom and we argue with each other and we do and you and, and there's a lot of conflict and heat you know but the whole point to align at least the executive team and regionally around very clear deliverables, you know, very clear balanced scorecard. But with understanding that this organization is a living being, it's not a mechanism. It's, the, it's not going to happen mechanically, right? It's going to have to go through a lot of zigzagging to get there, right? So how are we going to manage all of this? How does, for example, one of the things we develop is the story of organization, which tells the hero story, where we're going and how we're going to get there. That's going to guide us to even in difficult times as we zigzag along this. We know that just because you develop some kind of a roadmap or plan, it doesn't mean you, it's, it's, um, it's going to come to reality. You're going to have to do a lot of zigzagging, right? So, but this conversation, this great conversation among the executive team, at least begins cement, kind of aligning the whole organization towards a new vision. But does that make sense? It does. Um, uh, but because I go to first your underlying philosophy, and I yeah. realize that that room you're in with the EMT yes. may or may not have mature leaders yet and we we can in another great conversation we can talk about organizational maturity and leadership maturity. Oh. but but you're 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 dealing you know it, it's one thing to come out of the meeting with some kind of consensus and alignment right. on where you're going but yes how, how do you get them to have the tools necessary to actually treat it as a living person there oh what a perfect question. Like you literally walked into exactly the problem that we're, because we used to, we, we, you know, I've done a lot of um, executive development and I've done a lot of those weekends, right? And then you come back on Monday and it's like, well, okay, now what do we do, right? Um, so what we realize is exactly the word you use is that uh, the next step to, uh, to this road mapping process, right? Is, is be able to coach and develop the maturity of the executives to be act to execute on those goals, right? And you're right that every every person, every executive is is different maturity level in terms of. We actually identified five levels of maturity. We we we, we did a lot of research and a lot of our own experience, so we have a maturity matrix model where we 
we can assess the maturity of the individual and assess the maturity of the company overall. Number one is basically a command control kind of a executive. Um, we, by the way, we address the maturity of both people, leaders, and processes, because processes could be immature. Business models can be immature. So it's not just people, right? Um, so we assess that, and not, but at the, at the first level is the typical command control, very inflexible leader with very strict, stringent processes because everybody's children and they need to be told what to do. You know, it's kind of a military approach and we've seen those companies and, um, you know, they're rigid. They don't have many uh, styles of uh, leadership. You know, it's basically, uh, I say, you do. Okay, that's the relation between workers and leaders. Yeah. At, the, at the other extreme, at the level five maturity is the servant leader that understands that he's there to coach, support, develop, very flexible in styles. He can switch back and forth between, you know, becoming a, you know, dictatorial to, depending on what's needed, very situational leadership, you know. Uh, the people are much more understand their role and why they're there, their igikai. And they, they serve the greater good of the company and the community and the planet, right? So um, very flexible, very able to adapt, understand the, not just black and white, but the gray of things, right? So that's the level five. The, the reason we have all those levels is because, not because it's just nice to understand, but because depending on what your uh, objective of the company, you need different levels of maturity, right? So you might not need to level five, you might need level three. And that's why, and then we, if we assess you, for example, that you are at level one or level two, we know that we need to go a whole level up. And then we actually get to work, roll our sleeves and do the real work. The real work, which the way we get, because you want to ask me, well, how do we get that maturity, right? There is only one way a founder works, and that is by practical application, by, by actually setting challenges, or what we call sprints, execution sprints. It could be a small project, 90-day project that you want to execute on specific, you know, and then actually coaching the executive and the team to doing it with a different mindset, different approach, you know. And through that coaching, uh, they shift a little bit, maybe like, you know, 10 degrees. Now, we're still driving at 100 miles an hour. We're not stopping the, the engine, right? We're just trying to do this specific project and allowing the cash flow to go because we, we don't want to disturb the cash flow of the company. And then we do another iteration and another iteration. So we might do 20 projects a year, you know, which are all small and low risk, relatively speaking. But in that small iterative way, we can shift the whole culture of the organization over a year or two. A year or two. Yeah. Well, I mean, it depends which company. Listen, some small companies can in six months. Mm -hmm. Some, some, some might take a year or two. But, but you know, um, uh, let me ask you back a question. How long does it take for a, a, a mature adult to change? A long time. <laughs> uh, well, and, and I say that with a little grin because, yeah. because back to context for a second. Yeah. Well, uh, in studying change. What we, yeah. what we do see uh, that could uh, be a rapid, uh, a rapid change, a rapid transformation is one when somebody hits 
a, a, a severe roadblock where, where they hit bottom, if you will. And if, yes. they, if they hit bottom, if a company is going bankrupt, if, right. you're, if you've lost 50% of your people, then you are probably open to a lot of change and a lot of uh, new ways of doing things, right? That's true, but you also have a risk of actually killing the company in the process. You know, it's sort of kind of it's a risk reward, right? I mean, you could die or leave, right? It's it's really interesting because what we're dan what we're kind of dancing around is, um, and your biggest challenge, I would think, in what you're trying to do, what we're dancing around is that um, that that leaders don't necessarily want what you're, what you're talking about. They, they, they themselves don't see the world like you see the world and worldviews are in, incredibly important. So you may, you may get leaders who say they want it or are willing to run a project or two but yeah. you're dealing with belief systems and worldviews right now. Yes. And, and, yes. and, so, and so, by the way, something in my life I had to deal with. Am I out to change the world or am I looking for the people who want to change? That, that is true. That is true. I'll, I'll, I'll be very honest with you. Our, se our, our segment is very small at the moment. It's, it is the early adopters. Right. And uh, so, so it's the one, two, three percent of CEOs who understand that there is no other way. If you run the company as a machine, right, it's just like you just program it and you think it's going to work. It's not going to work. It's because it's not a machine. It's, it's much more an organic system and it needs to be developed and nurtured and developed. The maturity needs to be developed. And yes, it's, it's kind of there is more to it than just, you know, uh, an executive order from above. But the reward is much bigger. Well, okay. yeah, and this and this is what's I'm saying this also with a smile on my face. And yeah. maybe it's because I'm getting older and uh, have a lot of scars on my back, right. uh, which I can claim as wisdom now. <laughs> but 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 when you the the first sentence, uh, listeners, the first sentence in Vitali's paper is all leaders must create results. That's the first sentence. All leaders must create results. So chew on that for a second and then ask yourself, each of you, ask yourself what results would, um, would answer the question of why I'm here and why the company I'm leading should exist. Uh, and, and, and so, that's going to be a future conversation with Vitaly and me, maybe even, one, even maybe one of his customers. But, but at the end of the day, what, what I think I love about you and your company, I'm just getting to know you now, is I sense, I sense that the manifesto, if you will, the story, if you will, is, is, is a timeless story. And you're not interested in necessarily changing the world, but also, but more importantly, um, in a sense, changing yourself and through that simple hub, if you will, helping others in their path to value. 
Yeah, I, actually, I have to credit uh, the paper was uh, written by Norman Wolf and, uh, and with my help as well. Norman Wolf is my business partner, my senior guy, uh, senior senior partner, and he's the CEO. And and he's only he wrote a book called The Living Organization on Amazon. And his whole path, he's only had one question actually, um, and that is how do leaders create better results faster? Right. Better results faster. He what I mean. He said there, and he was a senior HP director, and he had a thirteen hundred people under him. And what he, in his own experience, what he's realized is they can do it much faster, much easier, with much more impact if they adopt a living organization point of view. If they see the organization as a living being that is needs to be developed and nurtured, uh, rather than bossed around and directed and controlled. And if they adopt that point of view, that mindset, uh, everything else will follow. They'll find a way of doing that. Uh, and we're trying to help, obviously, those leaders you know, by creating systems for them. But essentially, the only way that this new way of creating results more effectively can happen is by shifting the mindset from a mechanistic to a living perspective. That, that's it. I mean, that's the foundations of our work. Um, and once you do that, actually, like the world changes from you change and your results are being created with much more ease. This has been a great conversation with Vitaly Gaiman and uh, a partner in Quantum Leaders. We're going to, I'm sure, have many conversations in the future, both online and offline. Uh, but uh, I can't imagine anyone listening to this podcast wouldn't one want to pick up the paper and learn more about how to treat an organization as a living being. This has been a great conversation. Thank you, Vitaly. It's a pleasure.